You may have noticed this big stack of books up here. Um, so to start off with, this book right here is the Book of Mormon. And you'll notice that it says another testament of Jesus Christ. We'll look at that in a minute and we'll see if that's true or not. Um, this is a quad. And what this is, is the Holy Bible, the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, and the Pearl of Great Price. Uh, this big book right here is called The Kingdom of the Cults. This is by um, Walter Martin. And what you'll find in here is a lot of different facts about Mormonism, the history of it, and things like that. You'll also find a lot of other religions um, that he deals with in there. This, this book is uh, photo reprints, hard-to-get Mormon documents. So this has contradictions, false prophecies, uh, a lot of good information, things about uh, things that Joseph Smith said, Brigham Young, Orson Pratt, Bruce McCar uh, R. McCar McConkey, uh, who were they were all said to be prophets of the Mormon religion. Uh, this little book right here is a very is a simplified uh, book about Mormonism and in a way in which that you can use this um, to witness to Mormons. This is really Really simple book, really easy to read. Now, this book right here is probably one of the best books you can get on Mormonism. And the reason why is because um, it's, uh, it's called Decker's Complete Handbook of Mormonism. And if you're really serious about um, witnessing to Mormons, I would suggest you get this book. Because what this book does is it allows you to get past the terminology barrier. Uh, the terminology barrier is uh, we, um, as Christians and Mormons, we have um, the, the same terminology. We use the same words. We say Jesus Christ, but we're talking about two different Jesuses. We say hell, we say heaven. We're talking about two completely different things. And so what this book does, it helps you get past that terminology barrier. So did everybody get a handout? Everybody get a handout? Okay, good. Okay. So, let's, let's start by answering this question. Who are the Mormons? Now, I'm just going to read this. It's probably going to be boring, but that's okay. We'll get through it. Um, so, long ago on December the 23rd, 1805, a little boy named Joseph Felding Smith was born. His mother, Lucy Mack, had ten other children with his father, Joseph Smith Sr., having seven other boys and three girls. Three of his brothers didn't live past infancy, and another one of his brothers, Alvin, died as a young adult. While some families would shy away from the supernatural religion, God, and the Bible, his family did not. While his family visited several churches, his mother and several of his siblings attached themselves to the Presbyterian church. His father, however, became a master mason in the year 1818. By the year 1820, a troubled Joseph Smith have been reflecting on uh, the arguing over denominations, specifically among the Methodists, the Baptists, and the Presbyterians, all of which would try to persuade the other that they were right. While Joseph was leaning toward the Methodist church, uh, he was still not settled on which church was correct. As he read in the book of James, chapter 1, verse 5, it says, If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and shall be given him. He was... Uh, struck by the profound words to ask of God. So he tarried to the woods and began to pour his heart out. 
to God as never before, and suddenly he was seized upon by some power that overcame him. Two personages appeared above him. One was God the Father, and the other was Jesus Christ. He was asked which of the churches he should join, to which the reply was given in Joseph Smith History 119. I was answered that I must join none of them, for they were all wrong. And the personage who addressed me said that all their creeds were an abomination in his sight, that those professors were all corrupt, that they draw near to me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They teach for doctrines the, command, the commandments of men, having a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. Later, according to Smith, the resurrected saint, the angel Moroni, who had died in the year 400 A.D., supposedly met him in 1823 and told him of some golden plates in the hill Cumorah. Though Smith desired the plates, he was forbidden to have them for four more years in 1827. He takes the plates home, and he, and he begins the three-year process of translating these plates from Reformed Egyptian, we'll talk about that in a minute, um, into English. Uh, this must have been quite the task concerning he had only seven full school years of education, and he used the Urim and the Thummim in translating this work. These were two transparent stones Joseph looked through while Martin Harris, his secretary, wrote down what Joseph said on the other side of the curtain. Later, a more literate man uh, joined in this process. His name was Oliver Cowdery. This work was completed in 1830, thus the Book of Mormon was ready for use. By 1831, Joseph left New York for Ohio because of bank fraud. He then moved to Missouri. He was then imprisoned, and later he was killed in a wild shootout in 1844, dying at the age of 38. Um, in the introduction of the Book of Mormon, the prophet Joseph Smith said this, I told the brethren that the Book of Mormon was the most correct of any book on the face of the earth and the keystone of, of pure religion, and a man would get nearer to God by abiding by his precepts than any other book. Well, that's a pretty big claim. We'll look at that in a minute as well. But this religion began with six people uh, meeting in Fayette, New York. As of 2011, it increased to 6.23 million and by the end of 2022, it increased to 17 million. So Mormonism is one of the fastest growing religions in the world. And uh, why is this so appealing? Uh, because uh, the people that make up this religion are often kind, hardworking, modestly dressed, able to answer questions about what they believe. They have high moral standards and emphasize good families. This is what is depicted on the outside for all the world to see. What we must do as born-again Christians is examine this religion objectively with the Bible and see if it's true. So if you will, turn your Bibles to Jude chapter number 1. Jude chapter number 1. <clears throat> Jude chapter number 1, verse number 3. The Bible says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you the, of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. So the Bible tells us that we're to earnestly contend for the faith, but you can contend without being contentious. We'll also talk about that in a minute. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 
verse number uh, 21, 1 Thessalonians 5, 21. And while you're in the neighborhood, look at Colossians, get Colossians chapter number 4, verse number 6. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse number 21 says, Prove all things, hold fast that which is good. And look at Colossians chapter number 4, verse number 6. Colossians 4, verse number 6 says, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. So, um, as Christians, we're told to earnestly contend for the faith, to prove all things, hold fast that which is good. And according to Colossians, we're to do it with a good attitude uh, and, uh, and, and with right speech. So just want to uh, share some things with you. And the LDS scriptures, it, um, there are four which they use, the Book of Mormon, the Pearl of Great Price, the Doctrine and Covenants, and the King James Bible. The Book of Mormon, as Joseph Smith says, is the most correct book on earth. But um, the Book of Mormon has been corrected almost 4,000 times since 1830. Uh, I'll give you an example. Which was changed to was 891 times. Was has been changed to were 162 times. And the word that has been deleted 188 times. From, 19, from the 1920 edition to the 1981 edition, words have been completely changed, such as white was changed to pure, wandering was changed to waiting, come was changed to gone, and armies were changed to arms, just to name a few. So let's test... Um, one of their prophets, uh, let's test Alma. Let's test Alma. So real quick question. If you asked uh, a random person on the street, where do you think, G where do you think, um, well, let me rephrase that. If you talk to a random person on the street and you ask them, where was Jesus born? What do you think they would say? You can talk. Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Thank you. Bethlehem. Okay, so in the Book of Alma, in the uh, Book of Mormon, uh, this is what the this is what their prophet said. This is concerning the birth of the Messiah. Uh, Alma seven verse number ten says, "And behold, he shall be born of Mary at Jerusalem, which is the land of our forefathers. She being a virgin, a precious and chosen vessel, who shall." be overshadowed and conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost and bring forth a son, yea, even the Son of God. Okay, now let's see if that's true according to the Bible. Look at Isaiah chapter number 7. Isaiah chapter number 7. And Micah 5, verse number 2. Isaiah chapter number 7. And Micah 5, verse number 2. Isaiah 7, 14. Isaiah 7, 14. This is concerning the Messiah. 
Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, Isaiah, uh, not Isaiah, Micah, verse, uh, chapter 5, verse number 2. Micah 5, verse number 2. This is also concerning the Messiah and where he would be born. Micah 5, 2 says, But thou Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall be, uh, become forth uh, unto me, that is, to be a to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Okay. Now let's look at the fulfilled prophecy. Look at Matthew chapter number 2. Matthew chapter number 2. Matthew 2, verse number 1. The Bible says, Now when Jesus was born in, where? Bethlehem. Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east of Jerusalem. So, why is this a big deal? In Deuteronomy, it tells us that you have to test prophets of whether they're true, whether they're false, and how do you know? Well, uh, one way is the prophecies have to be 100% accurate every single time. Uh, it can't be wrong in any way. You can't give the wrong location uh, or, or things like that if you're speaking specifically about that. Uh, so the, in, in Deuteronomy, it tells us that we're to you know, put those prophets to death. You know, it, there was a, it was a, a serious matter and a death penalty offense if someone was a false prophet. And so we're not supposed to kill people today, um, but we are to uh, put them to death spiritually in that we don't listen to them. We don't give our ear to them or give our hearts to them um, that way. So uh, according to the Bible, uh, Isaiah and Micah, are true prophets of God because what they prophesied did come to pass. Alma is not a true prophet of God because what he said did not come to pass. And if you're not familiar with geography, Jerusalem is here, Bethlehem is here. They're about six miles apart. If you if you ask um, someone who you know studies studies those things, they would say no. There's no way that. Um, you know, it, they could be the same thing. Because what Mormon apologists do, they'll say, well, it's the land of Jerusalem. And they try to say that Bethlehem is a part of the land of Jerusalem. But, uh, but if you know geography, that, that's, not, that's not the case. They're two totally different places. Um, so uh, just to give you some, some contradictions in, in, the, uh, in the Book of Mormon, Pearl of Great Price, and these things. Uh, they, are, they should be um, on this paper here, Contradictions of LDS Scriptures. Also, you have a lot of racial statements in the LDS scriptures and other interesting uh, references. But the Book of Mormon and the Pearl of Great Price contradict in Ether uh, 312. Uh, that would be in the Book of Mormon. Uh, the statement is, God cannot lie. But in Abraham uh, 2, uh, 22 to 25, God commands lying. 
In the Book of Mormon, it says that if you turn and repent, um, your murder can be forgiven. That is 3 Nephi 30, verse number 2. But in Doctrine and Covenants, 42.18, says murder will not be forgiven in this life nor in the life to come. So, today, um, Mormons have a list of articles of faith. They have 13 articles of faith. And one of those articles of faith is often quoted by them, and that is uh, Articles of Faith 1.8. We believe the Bible to be the Word of God as far as it is translated correctly. We also believe the Book of Mormon to be the Word of God. Now, they actually changed this article of faith. It used to be, we believe the record of the Bible to be the Word of God, and we believe the record of the Book of Mormon to be the Word of God. And it said nothing about whether the Bible was translated correctly, so they changed that over time. So the assumption is the Bible could be incorrectly translated and the Bible should be called in the question. Well, rather than assume the Bible's wrong and its translators are wrong, let's examine Joseph Smith and his translation skills on the book of Abraham and the Pearl of Great Price. Uh, he is said to have translated uh, this work from Reformed Egyptian well, let me read. Let me read this to you. A number of Egyptologists have stated in writing that the manuscript made no mention at all of Abraham, but spoke instead of pagan funerals. One expert, Samuel A. B. Mercer, said, "All the scholars come to the same conclusion that Smith could not possibly translate any Egyptian text, as his translation of the facsimile shows. Any pupil of mine." Uh, who would show such absolute ignorance as Smith does, could not possibly expect to get more than a zero in an, ex in an examination in Egyptology. And that's Tanner Mormonism, Shadow or Reality, page 322. Uh, this is also some more um, Egyptologists and their uh, reaction to the Book of Mormon, what they have to say about this. Uh, let, me just, let me just give you a, a couple of quotes. Uh, this is from Dr. W.M. Belinders. It may be safely said that there is not one single word that is true in these explanations. Okay. Um, this is Dr. Peter Brand said, I would also I would also agree with the mainstream Egypto Egyptol Egyptol I can't I cannot say this word. Egyptology. Uh, okay. Anyway, you get the point. Uh, <laughs> that Joseph Smith, uh, that Joseph Smith papyrus is simply a Roman era uh, set of Egypt papyri with various ancient Egyptian texts, including sections of a book of dead and another known as book of breathing. There is no connection between these texts and any aspect of Christianity or Judaism. Smith translated one word, which was the name of an Egyptian moon god, 177 different ways in different places in the text, and none of them were correct. So should we trust the Book of Mormon, the Pearl of Great Prize, Doctrine and Covenants? Um, I don't think so. They've been changed. They contradict one another and have been poorly translated. So why should we witness to Mormons? Let's look at Acts chapter number 1.
and with that, get Mark chapter number 16. Acts chapter number 1, verse number 8, the Bible says, But ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And now look at Mark 16, verse number 15. The Bible says, and he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So one reason we should witness to Mormons is because we're commanded to. Um, look at Ephesians. Ephesians chapter number 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse number 15. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 15. The Bible says, But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. So we desire to speak the truth in love to our Mormon neighbors. Uh, look at Galatians, Galatians chapter number 1. And with that, grab 2 Corinthians 11. 2 Corinthians 11. So Galatians chapter number 1, verse number 6. This is a great passage if you ever witness to a Mormon. It's a great passage. Look at Galatians 1, verse number 6. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Now listen, but though we, so that's the apostles, and Paul includes himself, but though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed." And, and, and then it says in verse number 9, it says, As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you, then that ye have received, let him be accursed. So why is this important, uh, this, this passage? Number one, it, it, it tells you that if an, if an angel, even from heaven, comes, and that's what the Book of Mormon claims uh, here, um, that the... Uh, Angel Moroni came from heaven and gave a different gospel. And so Galatians 1 is a great text to use uh, to refute that idea. Um, 2 Corinthians 11, uh, verse number 3. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3 says, But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit which ye have not received, or another gospel which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. So 
the Apostle Paul's fear was that uh, people would come into the church of Corinth and would preach a different Jesus and would preach another gospel and another spirit, and he was uh, fearful for them. And, and we should be fearful for our Mormon neighbors because that's what they have. They have another Jesus, another gospel, another spirit, uh, which they receive, and we have the truth, and we need to give them the truth. Uh, so what do we preach to uh, Mormons? Well, let's go to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, look at verse number 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17. The Bible says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation." Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now turn to John chapter number 19. John chapter number 19. What do we preach to Mormons? John 19 Verse number 30. This is Jesus Christ on the cross. And he said this, When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. What we preach to Mormons is that you can be reconciled to God. And that... You are reconciled to God through the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It has absolutely nothing to do with your works. It has absolutely nothing to do uh, with you being a good person or obtaining your own righteousness or uh, obeying laws and ordinances of the gospel. It has absolutely nothing to do with you becoming a God one day. Um, but we preach Christ, Him crucified, and what He did is absolutely enough for us to be reconciled to God. And so that's, that's the message that we give to Mormons. Christ died and was buried and rose again. Very simple gospel message. Uh, that's, that's what we do. Now, when witnessing to Mormons, I want to give you this. Uh, there are things you need to avoid. Um, things you need to avoid. And uh, I'm just going to go through these pretty rapidly. Uh, not really going to comment on them a lot. Just going to state them, and then we're gonna, just going to move on. But things you should avoid. Being sloppy in how you dress. Uh, making accusations, telling them what they believe. You should ask them what they believe because every Mormon is different. Do not insult their prophets. They will walk away from you. Uh, don't be rude or call them names. Um, you want to avoid jumping from topic to topic. You want to avoid calling them Mormons. Why? Because they... You know, a prophet said, well, you know, God revealed to them that they should no longer be called Mormons. They should be called members of the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints. LDS will do. Uh, 
That's perfectly fine. Um, you want to avoid controversial topics such as polygamy or black people not being allowed in the priesthood until 1978. Why? Uh, they have their place, but that's not the gospel. So uh, also something you need to try to avoid is over-talking and trying to domineer in the conversation. Some, some things you should do. Some things you should do. You should be bold, but you should be compassionate. Things, uh, things to do. Ask, uh, you need to ask what I call decompression questions. Uh, this gets them to drop their guard and open up to you about different experiences they've had. I'll give you an example. How long have you been on your mission? Drops their guard. They start talking about their mission. Um, what have you learned on your mission? What have you enjoyed most about your mission? When have you spoken to Bible-believing Christians? Uh, did you have good or bad experiences with them? You'll be surprised what they say. Um, what, what did you talk about the most? I think this one's really important. Things you should do. You should listen. You should listen. If you will shut your mouth and listen... You will learn a lot by just simply asking questions. And then once they reveal to you what they believe, then you can proceed in how you witness to them. But you just got to shut your mouth and listen. Um, and a good question to ask them, what has convinced you the Book of Mormon is true? Um, what is the gospel that you preach? Who do you say Jesus is? And when you ask this question, they'll be very, very generic, you know, very, very broad in their explanation. They don't really get, get into detail with you. Uh, but basically what you can do is instead of pointing, pointing at them, you can point at the, at the Muslim and say, well, Muslims don't believe that Jesus Christ was the divine son of God. They don't believe that he died and rose from the dead. Uh, to forgive us of our sins, uh, they don't. They don't believe that He's God Almighty. So that is a different Jesus, and you get them to consent to that, and then you can talk about their Jesus and the Jesus that they believe in. One one among many gods, um, who's um, not God Almighty. He's uh, he is um, the in 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 their belief of, of the Trinity. They believe in that. There's three. Uh, distinct gods. God the Father is a distinct God, separate from Jesus, and Jesus is distinct from the Holy Ghost and, and things like that. So they have a misguided view on the Trinity as well. Uh, but again, controversial topic, you want to stick to the gospel. It has their place, uh, talking about the Trinity and other complex issues, but you, you want to stay on the gospel. Uh, things to do, preach the word. Preach the word. And a good question to ask, should you believe your feelings if they contradict Scripture? Um, we talked a little bit earlier about the terminology barrier. This book right here will, will help you. Uh, Decker's Complete Handbook on Mormonism. 
that that'll really be beneficial to you. Um, feelings and religious experiences. Well, you know, I I prayed about it, and God, you know, revealed to me through the Holy Ghost that the Book of Mormon is true. But you present facts about the Book of Mormon, the Pearl of Great Prize, the Doctrine and Covenants to them, and you show them that they're contradictory. They been translated incorrectly um, and the most correct book is actually not the most correct book on the face of the earth and you show them those things and they say well I prayed about it and God gave me this revelation that the Book of Mormon is true how do you deal with feelings and religious experiences here's a good question uh, to ask a Muslim can do the same thing with the Quran and he can say, well, I really believe it. I prayed about it, and I've received revelation is true. But, but the Quran teaches, you know, that the earth is flat. And it teaches that, um, uh, it also teaches that Jesus Christ, um, when he rose from the dead, and the apostles, eyewitness account, and all of that, that it, that it was an illusion, that it wasn't even real. It didn't even happen. Uh, so so the, the Quran is wrong in that way and then you ask them, well well is the quran true and saying that the resurrection was a total sham it was wrong well no it wasn't historically it wasn't and it contradicts the bible so how do you determine who's right well you test your feelings and your religious experiences by the word of god look at uh first john first john Chapter 4. And 2 Peter chapter 1. First John chapter 4. Verse number 1. The Bible says, Beloved... Believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Okay, now look at Second Peter. Second Peter chapter number 1. This is Peter, and he's talking about the Mount Transfiguration and his uh, religious experience. He's talking about... The feelings that he had. Okay? 2 Peter 1, verse number 16, it says, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he uh, received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased. And this voice, which came from heaven, we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. Now, verse 19 is your go-to verse. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. So what, what Peter just said was 
greater than my experience on the Mount of Transfiguration when I heard God speak from heaven concerning His Son and saw Jesus in His manifest glory. What's greater than that is the word that is written in the Bible. Okay. So, um, also, uh, give you give you something else. Remember, context is key when you're dealing with Mormon. Context is key. So, many times you're going to meet a Mormon. You know that they teach a system of works-based salvation. So, what, what's your go-to passage? Ephesians 2, 8, 9. So, turn to Ephesians 2, 8, 9. And you can give a simple gospel message from Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Very simple. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now their counter to that is always James chapter 2. It's always James chapter 2. You can mark it down. It is James chapter 2. So what is the context of James chapter number 2? That is a great question to ask when they bring up James chapter 2. What is the context of James chapter number 2? So the context of James chapter 2 is do you have a living faith or do you have a dead faith? Is your faith useful to others? James chapter number 2 deals with your justification before men. It does not deal with your justification before God. So you have to remember that. Also, they'll give 1 Corinthians chapter number 8. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 8. And look at verse number 5. 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 8. Verse number 5, it says this. It says, For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be gods many and lords many. Now, the scripture doesn't deny that there are other gods and lords, but actually clarifies what they are in the first verse. They are idols. They are idols. I'll give you these uh, few verses here. Look at um, Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43, verse number 10. This is a great verse to witness uh, to with Mormons. Now, understand, Joseph Smith, he taught, we've imagined, and, we've imagined and supposed that God was God from all eternity. He said, however, I will refute that idea, remove the veil from your eyes so that you may see that you may learn to become God yourselves the same as all gods have done before you. So Joseph Smith taught a plurality of gods and that you could become a god one day. But Isaiah 43.10 says, You are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant, whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. So God, the Father, says that he's the first, he's the last. There's none before, none after. You're not going to become a God one day, um, and there are not many other gods. And this... This paper that you have that I that I that I've given out, I have a lot of other scriptures on here, uh, different topics you'll deal with when you're when you're dealing with the Mormon, and you need to familiarize yourself with these verses if you want to witness to a Mormon. So I, I think that'll be helpful to you. Thank you so much.